Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about a big bundle of things related to analytics, data engineering, gaming, and more with one of my favorite BI, business intelligence warehousing analytics persons in the world, based out of Calgary, Alberta, but originally from Brazil, is uh, Felipe Ferreira. How are you, Felipe? Hey, Warner. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you very much for inviting me for this podcast. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And for the audience that's listening to us today, let's let's walk a little bit about your background, how many years you've been doing this, how you started, and where you are today. Sure. So, yeah, uh, I have like pretty much like I have 15 years of experience right now, uh, pretty much all of them in the data side of things, but I did a bunch of things. Um, you know, I think I started my career actually as a .NET developer for a short period of time, and then I swapped it to database administration, then business intelligence, then a lot of time, like a lot of time on consulting. So you know how it is the life of a consultant. You do whatever you need to do. Um, That's right. So like a, pretty much like a, a full stack data uh, person <laughs> uh, just to get the, the, the full stack developer concept into the data role. So yeah, uh, and and yeah, like then in the past um, five years, I was a data engineer uh, in um, um, software as a service company. And now I'm a data engineer at EA Games. What you're able to share with us at least, is what part of EA are you working on or what type of analytics is it? Sure, yeah. So I work actually in the game engine. So we have a lot of, uh, data teams at EA. So we have like central teams that create products for all, for all the the studios that the actually build titles. the games. Yeah, like they create like, you know, uh, things that go across all the company. Um, and then we have actually each game, each title has their own analytics thing um, for uh, things specific to that game. Um, and then I'm part of the game engine. So that actually comprises um all the tooling like that is used internally by the developers and artists to create the game uh all the framework the actually the actual code that is that runs in the in in the game like 70 to 80 percent of the code that actually runs in the consoles come from the framework so all the physics ai all mm -hmm. the you know that kind of stuff comes from the framework um and and i basically i work collecting telemetry from the framework um, and from the tools and doing telemetry analysis. That is that is really cool. And, and gaming is very interesting as well because gaming has a lot of use cases for mm -hmm. for analytics and ML, right? Like you were just mentioning, you have the, the engine, the telemetry of the engine, like the internals, like what is making everything run. And then you can do a lot of analytics and ML over everything that runs on top of that, right? Like... Uh, the difficulty of a game you can run over the how much people uh, buy in-app purchases in the games nowadays as well, recommending stuff like that. There, mm -hmm. There's just a lot, a lot inside the gaming industry that can be applied to analytics and ML. I don't know if you've seen or have, have uh, read about any other use cases for gaming with analytics and ML. Yeah, like I, uh, the ob obviously the 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 money part of it like yes mm -hmm. that, that that side of things is pretty big so yeah like we have 
the game things like we had, you know, um, not only at EA, but every every uh, game company out there, you know, they they have the analytic analytics analysis on the uh, user experience, like every item that you choose is in the menu. Mm. Um, you know, the paths that you that you go through to find something. Um, even in the game itself, sometimes you know they may collect information on how long you spend in specific areas or how you how you uh, do things. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of analytics, uh, especially like uh, on the free-to-play games, right? Yeah, yeah. Free-to-play has become a huge sensation. On mobile, almost everything is free-to-play now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in the mobile, like I, what I've heard and, and read about it, uh, they, ha they have even better data than PCs because on the... On the mobiles, they have data about anything, everything, right? They know who you are and geolocation, uh, geolocation, and stuff. yeah, where where you are playing, how you are playing, like all that the kind device, of device, the device that you're using, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, what you were doing before playing and after playing, like all that kind of information that they collect from phones, like it's crazy. So yeah, I think that they they are way more advanced and, than the consoles. And, and the, the thing with the uh, with free to play too is that. You gotta you gotta make the money somewhere, right? It still costs yeah. a lot of money to develop the games, right? So free to play is obviously it's just like the gateway into getting mm -hmm. you to do small purchases once you're inside the game, right? That's where really the analytics shines for the mobile mm -hmm. games to try to get you to spend money on mm -hmm. these small things. And these small purchases, they add up over time, right? Some people end up spending yeah. three, four times what they would have spent if they had to just purchase like an actual uh you know 70 dollar game right yeah and the, and the thing is the thing is about free to play games is that they have the way you players right the people that actually spend a lot of money and and those are the targets so mm, you know, that's they, true they, yeah like they they make their money from a really small percentage of the players like the majority of the players are just there to please the the whales like you you see some packs like that costs you know hundred dollars hundred and fifty dollars and you're like what That's you know true. yeah who big, buys big that kind of stuff? actually yeah like yeah. but yeah there's a lot of players that that buy that and then they need the free to player because you know the the whales will not play if there is no one else to play with them right so and the the other thing that i've i've heard about it being used quite a bit uh nowadays is for uh, a kind of like a, a cool use case is uh intelligent matchmaking for online Mm -hmm. So to try to match players, uh, not only obviously you want to match them geographically, so they have low latency between each other, but mm -hmm. also to try to match them in like the terms of how they play or the difficulty, right? Because you don't want to have a an experience online where somebody goes in, plays a game, and immediately gets destroyed by other players that are way too good, right? Mm -hmm. And then that player is never going to come back to the game. Yeah, right, because he just had a terrible experience. So. Yeah, there's so many use cases. Like pretty much everything is data. Like in 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 a game, it's a super complex piece of software. You know, with so many things that go uh, into a game, and there is there there is opportunity to collect data and to analyze data in every single part of it. Yeah. So so talking about that and and uh, se separate from what you're doing at EA, but I wanted to get your. Um, your thoughts on this so talking about uh, you know a lot of what we do at pythian obviously is we help people build data platforms we get these types of questions all the time um what are you recommending these days if somebody goes in and wants to build something from scratch do you just say you know go with like open source spark do you like 
some of the proprietary Sparks like Cloudera or Databricks? Do you prefer if they people or you think maybe people should still go with like classic uh, warehousing or use a, a cloud warehouse like BigQuery or Snowflake? Like, what do you think are some of the, the best choices today in the market? Best choice is a complicated word, right? Because it's always like <laughs> yeah, a yeah. It's a different choice for everybody. But yeah. I want to see what, what your opinion yeah. is uh, sure, with sure. your background. What, you know, and let's talk about, we're talking about the use case of gaming and this constant yeah. collection. And gaming sometimes is almost like quasi streaming, right? As people are mm -hmm. playing constantly, right? Uh, yeah. It's not really a batch process either. So what, what are some of the, you know, your yeah, favorite that, components for, for, these days? For, for, uh, for, for the gaming industry for the entertainment industry in general like you know the the cloud is almost like a, a given like you mm -hmm. need a, you need a cloud you don't know how many people are going to you know to be playing a game how many people are going to be using your your, your product like it may be millions of people it may be you know a couple thousand mm -hmm. um you know in there is this huge swings during holidays and the kind of stuff yeah. um so, thanksgiving you know, weekend apparently is huge for online gaming yeah like so yeah all the period between the thanksgiving and and christmas it is it's like the it's like it's a huge right like it's where they they make a lot of their money so yeah like you definitely need to have cloud any knowledge in any of the clouds um and personally you know i i do enjoy using spark a lot so you know i if you ask me uh and and i usually go with spark um and that's actually what they ask it in my team because i build the solution uh, that we use in my team from scratch so we basically we use spark uh and because the thing is small i decided to use databricks um mm -hmm. you know just because of all the building things the like you know easy of life quality of life uh things that databricks provides compared yeah. to the, the open source um, if you have a larger thing with people, you know, to maintain and integrate all these open source tools, yeah. you know, it may be cheaper or it may be easier to, to go with those. But, you know, for me, I do, I do love like some productivity game. Um, mm. So I usually go with uh, either Databricks or, you know, Synapse Analytics. I actually did some try, I did try Synapse Analytics, uh, but in the end I decided to go with Databricks. Um, and uh and python like python i think is like yeah it's also mandatory for anyone oh, yeah. who's working on data engineering uh nowadays can i ask you something related to this point how how necessary this is something that people ask me all the time too mm -hmm. how necessary do you feel is to know scala as well or have you used scala at all or you just go by python completely I never use Scala to be honest. Yeah. Like I, if you ask me to use Scala to do something in Scala right now, I'm going to go to Google and have to research. Yeah. Like it's got, yeah. have to go to Stack Overflow. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I never use Scala. I know that in the beginning of the of the spot of Spark, the performance difference was pretty big mm -hmm. uh, between Scala code and Python. But as far as I know, the difference has you yeah, know, yeah. That's that's what that's what I, I kind of get the feeling as well. And I always tell people, like, you know, I, I still haven't done a project where the knowledge of Scala was the determination between success and failure, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and most people will probably benefit from learning Python anyway, just because Python is just way more popular. You can use it in yeah. more things. It's more important for your resume, right? Mm -hmm. But every now and then I get somebody, especially on LinkedIn, you'll get somebody that is like, oh, no, you got to use Scala or you're not going to get all the benefits of Spark down to the last 
you know drop of the performance <laughs> like you know it's like but it goes it goes to the productivity thing in the end as well like you know is it worth to get you know to spend uh 10 more time to get like you know 0.5 more performance and even even if in the small cases where it does make sense like if you look at databricks for instance right now they have this new engine called mm -hmm. called uh proton um photon. which is photon i yeah. keep calling proton, proton. I, always, I always different, call different proton. particle yeah yeah <laughs> so which basically they rewrote the core in c plus right like it's the code that is running is not yeah, it's not Scala. Java. It's not Java anymore. So now there is no benefit of running Scala because in the end, this, both Scala and Python needs to be converted to, you know, to C code. It's okay, well that's good. I, I like to I like to get your opinion because you're somebody that's working directly data engineering full time right now, and obviously in a in a big in a big gaming corporation, but you know, electronic mm -hmm. art. So it's not like. You know, if you haven't really had to use it then, uh, at this point, then I'm pretty confident that the, the advice probably still stands um, the test yeah. of time. What about the rest of the analytics stack? What are some of your favorite tools in terms of ETL, data visualization, mm -hmm. uh, anything else that you find is, is really necessary these days and age on an analytics stack? Necessary, um, again, uh, kind of a complicated word. Like I, I, I do, I, I don't use Airflow, but I do like Airflow uh, okay. a, a lot. And it goes back to like to just having a good uh, resume that, you know, reflecting what the industry is using, right? So a lot mm -hmm. of the industry uses Airflow. And, and, and because of that, I think it's important to at least know a little bit of Airflow. But in mm -hmm. the end, you know, when you go back to a box solution like that, like that, you know, the Databricks, they, they, they are providing a bunch of these ETL and workflows tools in the, in the latest releases. They now have proper um, workflows and, vi and you can visually do workflows just like, mm. you know, you can see the visual workflow like you can do in the Airflow. So, you know, it, it's complicated. You know, I think it's important to know a little bit of, you know, what the most, the most used tools out, out there. But in the end, what you're going to actually use depends a lot of on your specific job, right? Even the things that I'm saying here, the tools that I that I use, if you join EA and you go to a different thing, it, it maybe it's going to be completely different, right? I know other things at EA that they only use Airflow and they use like other cloud providers. They don't use Databricks. They use, they, you know, they mm. use, I don't know, Redshift or whatever they, you know. So it, it really depends on your specific use case, but in, it's good to have a, at least a little bit of knowledge about everything and then just go deeper on whatever you need for your job. I, I remember back in the day uh, when we were working together, you did used to play and like quite a bit of Power BI. Have, yeah. you, have you abandoned the data visualization space completely? Are you still doing anything there, even in your own time or just... Not enough time. It's hard to be an expert of everything, obviously, yeah, these days. Yeah, it's hard to be an expert for everything, for sure. We do use Power BI here a lot, and but you know we have data analysts, and they do the they do the UI part, they do the data visualization, um, that the dashboard. So I don't have the chance to work too much on the Power mm. BI, uh, but I do try to keep up to date and see what's you know what new new features are being uh, released on uh, every month and and playing a little bit with, with it just to understand yeah. better how it's, it's pretty crazy that right like when we when we were working together 
I remember, mm -hmm. I mean, Power BI was a, a very straightforward, simple product compared mm -hmm. to what it is today. Yeah, today is a one, monster. Right? It was like right? the today. Yeah. All, all you had back then was you have a data source, you create a data set, and then you mm -hmm. can create a report and a dashboard. Now today's is you have like all those things, but then you also have, you know, you have data flows now, you have workspaces, you can do composite data models even, so you can mm -hmm. build a data model on top of another data model. Yeah. The product has just gone. Yeah, it, it is a it, it's, it's a it's, very very powerful product, but it is yeah it's becoming it's becoming kind of like an, you know, like office in a way where like yeah. there's so much stuff thrown in it, um, and, that it's, and, it is and, a little bit overwhelming good, sometimes. Yeah, that's a good point that you mentioned because I see some people you know out there that are actually starting to use Power BI as an end-to-end -end solution. They are actually doing their pipelines because now they have the Azure Data, data Factory. Flows, yeah. yeah, the data flows there, yeah, which is like a smaller version of the Azure Data Factory integrated into Power BI, right? So it's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's kind of weird to see everything being done inside one tool. Um, yes, that's true uh, as well. Because Micro, you in and they have this uh, this thing now as well, where you can quote unquote create like your own data lake. Mm -hmm. inside so you you basically you associate like an azure blob account to power bi and then you have like the storage layer is going to be files mm -hmm. on azure storage so you yeah. even have like a back end kind of but yeah. everything is contained in power bi right so you would you would extract data from power bi you would model it with power query you could do the etl with the data flow in power bi and obviously there's pros and cons to that, right? Yeah. The, the biggest pro is everything's integrated in one place, but obvious con is that you're locked into everything is Power BI, right? Yeah. Your entire analytic solution is Power BI. Yeah, it, it makes some difficult conversations, I, I, I bet, in the consulting world, right? Because people will start asking, okay, why, do, why should I go with a different tool set and use all these different products if I can just do everything inside Power BI? Uh, Oh yeah, it, it must be interesting to work in consulting nowadays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is a difficult. It's a difficult conversation. We, um, we have even like a scorecard and decision matrices and stuff nowadays because any conversation mm -hmm. like this, it has so many different factors of decision, right? We even mm -hmm. have clients sometimes that just come in with, you know, we don't even know what solution to use. Do we use Synapse? Do we use Databricks? Do we use any of mm -hmm. these other things? and there's there's so much stuff that keeps yeah. coming on how do you stay up to date what are some of the things that you do because uh, you know working full-time in this field obviously there's new stuff every day mm. what, what do you do to try to keep up well I, i'm kind of addicted to studying right which is kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time so i do have access to the orio library uh online and i also have like a the company has a partnership with um Udemy. Um, I never know how to pronounce their name. I think it's yeah, Udemy. Udemy. Yeah. Uh, so we have all the, those trainings available uh, and all the books available on Orio. So, you know, I just try to, I, I'm always reading, I'm always learning something new, I'm always studying. Uh, and not only in the data field, like I'm just finishing doing like, a, you know, a, 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 I'm doing a, a training on game develop, development on Unity and I already oh, bought cool. an Unreal mm -hmm. one. And a and a three D um, modeling blender uh, training. So I'm always trying to learn something new. Um, 
definitely not easy Con consumes me a lot of time usually mm -hmm. on my personal time well yeah. 99% of, of my personal time but you know it is what it is that the IT like I think that everyone that decides to work on IT is very aware that they are, have to do that kind of stuff right yeah and if, if you're not aware um you will either just not really have a hard time standing out or yeah. you will just have to adapt and start you know the the constant studying and learning yeah. and, and your your story is kind of interesting as well right i remember we first time that we worked together as well you were just doing sql server dba back then did you mm -hmm. um did you always think you were going to move into the analytics space is it something that just came up after the fact? What was your path uh, when, you know, going from DBA to data engineer? Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, my, my entire career was always based on Microsoft products. Like I think okay. I, I have. Like yeah, you're, one, you're, one, an, two... you're an MVP uh, alumni, right? Yeah, yeah, their MVP reconnect program. Yeah, like a, I was a five year for five years an MVP, and uh, I have like twenty five or so certificate Microsoft certifications. I still am a Microsoft certified trainer mm -hmm. for the or Microsoft official curriculum. So I never saw myself like leaving the Microsoft uh, road um, and going to a road that is much more focused on open source and mm -hmm. different technologies. So that was like you know something that I never saw myself doing it. But I think it happened kind of, it was kind of a progression because, you know, I, I started doing a lot of BI projects and basically the business intelligence world kind of morphed into the data engineering, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you get to a certain point of data and you start having data streaming and you have start, you start, you start having like terabytes and terabytes of data, then, you know, the regular SQL Server integration services just can't handle like mm -hmm. you know um and then and then you know it, it just morph into a data engineering role i think that like in my in, in my previous in my previous life like when i, when I was working on the service as a service company um you know they had that the kind of question when they started the company that i i know that a bunch of developers have the same questioning when they are creating their application uh, which is do i create one huge database for all our customers or do i create like one single database for each customer mm -hmm. um and that company decided to create like one database for each customer so you know i had like eighty thousand data sql server databases and mm -hmm. and and it was a business intelligence project so how do you how do you do aggregate over that right yeah how do you do daily loads for eighty thousand databases right if it takes like two or three seconds each database that's already more than you know prop you know it can go over 24 hours right mm -hmm. and you have to do daily loads so it, it it just happened to morph into okay you know i can't use the regular business intelligence tools now i have to go back to go in and, and start studying data engineering and development um and and use code for that so it was kind of a transition that just happened. What are the, what's the, sometimes people ask me as well, like, what's the difference now? This term data engineer is a fairly, fairly recent mm -hmm. term. Let's call it, you know, five years or less. Yeah. Um, but we've had BI developers for forever. Mm -hmm. So in your opinion, like, what is the difference? Why did this term of data engineer had to exist now as opposed to just, you know, 
the same old term we used to have, which was like, you know, a BI developer, somebody that would do like integrations, could write some <laughs> SQL. Like, do we, is it really different? Is it not? Do you think it's just a rebrand? Um, what's your opinion? I think it's mostly a rebrand. Um, there is definitely a, like an extra layer of complexity. So in my, in my vision, what I see happening in the day-to-day um, is that the data engineer needs to have some development knowledge, you know, to handle these complex scenarios, to to handle data streaming, you know, data coming coming in in real time and and large large amount of data, um, and then after we have the data in the data lake, then the job kind of morphs into a business intelligence job because in in the end you get all those that data and and all and we have data that is not transactional it's not relational data we have json mm -hmm. we have a lot of json we have you know the data engineer needs to get data from apis which the business intelligence you know usually did not have to uh, in most cases it was just relational databases um, but after all the data is in your data lake then what usually happens is that you end up creating a data warehouse with fact tables and dimensions mm -hmm. and and all of that it's still sitting in a data lake so it's like a parquet uh file and not a sql server database mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. But, it's the, but, the databricks lake house yeah the delta lake files um well but even yeah or either that or then synapse that you know you can use the sql synapse which is the old uh parallel data house or you can be mm. using uh, you can use an mpp data warehouse yeah yeah snowflake or whatever tool you want but you know in the end you end up having a data house and and then you have the data visualization on on you know site the power bi looker whatever you're using um so that part it's exactly the same as the business intelligence developer they just call data analyst today or they call or even data engineer but you know just focus on the on one part of the problem and not the back end. Um, but a lot of it is just rebrand of old concepts and adding a little, little bit of complexity. Mm. How important do you think are communication skills for the data engineer role? Because you got to talk to the people that know the sources and mm -hmm. you also got to talk to the people that are going to be your consumers. Yeah. Right. Do you, yeah. you know, how, how critical has it been to be able to you know, communicate to people effectively and understand people and mm -hmm. listen to people. I think it's essential. Actually, you know, someone asked me last week, you know, what were the two things that I I thought it was essential was like a uh, something that made a difference on my career. Um, and I actually answered, you know, my answer was exactly one of them was exactly that. It was just having um, having the communication skills to talk to different groups of people so you mm -hmm. need to be able to talk to speak like in technical terms when you're talking to a certain audience but you have to be able to talk business talk when you're talking you know to, to the mm -hmm. to the end customer um, and you need to have like business knowledge so i think that that was essential for me it was just you know having um you know making the, the decision to go and learn okay how do how does the company make money you know how Mm. what is important to the company like what are the kpis that the, that the company um is tracking or that the industry is tracking uh, how do i calculate that that those like what why do they matter um so so you can actually not just be what i call like a you know a code monkey that just mm. does a task that someone's 
uh, ask you to do, but you can actually talk to, you know, as an equal to an analyst or to a, a product manager, and you can give recommendations on how to improve mm -hmm. the tool and how to how to improve the data, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you acquire the specific domain knowledge mm -hmm. to your business, so that yeah, you can provide way more value that way, right? You can bring yeah. in, you can actually bring in original ideas instead of just yeah. waiting to be told what to code, right? Yeah, and I think you know just because you know you you know both of us we have this consultant background, so it's kind of easier for us to do that mm -hmm. kind of things because we are used to do this. But when when I talk to people that are 100% technical that they never been into in consulting they were, all their life was just you know in a specific company doing jira tickets i i can i see that it's harder for them right they are used to talking to a technical audience and only mm -hmm. to people that speaks the same language as them so it's harder for them to actually choose words when when talking to <laughs> yeah, others yeah. <laughs> yeah you have to tune you have to tune your style to your audience that's mm -hmm. for sure what about uh, for people, you know, that may be coming out of school, they're really fresh, um, you know, are, are the path that, you know, you and I took was kind of probably for people similar to our age is we started with database administration, which was kind of like the data related job that was there uh, mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, right? Um, but, yeah. you know, people coming out of school nowadays, they have all these different data roles that are very specific. There are available right now in the market you do what what do you recommend like how do you make yourself stand out when you know there's a lot of positions open but there's a lot of interest as well for many people to enter the industry mm -hmm. yeah uh so one thing that i'm seeing from the data engineer the, the data engineers that apply to openings right now they either are 100% developers that learn the development at school and and they were either like a software engineer and they only know development or they were database guys that don't know any development right so mm. and, and and i think they are two different profiles that needs like two sets of guide different guidance um for their careers um the software engineers they lack SQL knowledge like a lot they are great developers they can think on you know the best algorithm to create and and how to write code properly but they don't know and they don't like sql they don't okay. know or they don't like database modeling um you know so it's pretty hard for them to you know uh make the transition and um and actually uh be successful because they you know they have this huge gap to uh to learn right a bunch of a bunch of people just tell them straight away, okay, you know, get this, uh, the data house toolkit book from Kimbo, which mm -hmm. is a book that is, you know, a few decades old and just read the entire book uh, because you need to learn database modeling uh, first. Um, and, 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 then, and then the data professional guys, they are like, they are the opposite, right? They are super good in, in, in database modeling. They are super good on the, um, on the uh, SQL side, but they don't know any development. So it's, I think it's easier for them. That's the path that I did. So it, I think it was easier because I just had to uh, learn the, the development side of the ETL um, mm -hmm. and, and the few concepts of big data. I, I think it's a, an easier path to do. Um, definitely the focus for me was just to learn more about development, learn, learn Python, which I, I did not know. Um, learn all these new 
new tooling like Airflow and Spark um, and, and how awesome it is. Um, I love Spark. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was an easier transition, but still like, you know, you, you just have to, to focus on that front. Um, and, and for both of them is, you know, what we just say, right? Communication, business, the business domain, um, you need, you just need to learn. You and know, constant learning. Yeah. yeah. And what are, what are some of the things now that you've had, you know, several different projects, uh, under your wing, what are some of the biggest uh, mistakes that you still see people do in some of these analytics projects? Machine learning is the first thing that comes to my mind. Everyone okay, yeah, elaborate. Yeah. Like everyone wants to do machine learning. Mm-hmm. Every, everyone wants to do AI of course. because it's cool because it's the, it's the trending word. And in 99% of the cases, they, they, they either don't need machine learning or they don't have the data. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's the, the, I think that the main, mistake. I read a really good blog post one time that actually said, you don't need a data scientist. You need a data engineer. And I was like, yeah, yeah this is true for, for 99% of the shops out there. What mm-hmm. they need first is a, well, first, what they need is some proper data quality. And then they need yeah. a data engineer. And then, then maybe they can go out and find a data scientist if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point because the data engineers that I, that I worked with, the data engineers, oh, sorry, the data scientists that I, that I worked with, they are super good in, in, in math and they, they know Python, but they know you, you know, they use Python like using pandas mm-hmm. and reading data from a CSV. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not the same. And and then pandas, you know. So just to make it clear, so for to people that don't understand why I mentioned that, it's because panda is a library to load all the data into memory. So mm-hmm. you know, if your data doesn't fit into memory, then it just fails, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and if you're working with terabytes of data, there is no way that you can that you can use pandas. There is no way that you can um, get a, get the data. You're, you're not going to get the data into a CSV and then send to a data scientist so they can read the data. You know. Um, yeah, just from, load from it in CSV. your in your laptop's RAM, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a completely different skill set. So I, I yeah, I do agree that first we need a data engineer. The data engineer needs to work with the, you know, with the developers in the company to get the data quality, you know, uh, fixed. Um, because I I never saw a, a case where the data quality was good enough. Yeah, um, not the big. Yes, it's hard to find something where you immediately everything is fine just to, for yeah. consumption, right? Yeah, yeah. So you always have to fix something. So you need a data engineer to do all that that, that part and, and create all the data. And then then you can get a data scientist to come with the business questions and the business, uh, like the, the, with the models that we that we should start using. Um, and even that, like I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the future holds, you know, because mm-hmm. if you look at all the clouds right uh, right now, they all... Yeah are doing auto ML, right? Auto ML, all, yeah. Yeah, so they are all doing things to test all every single possible model out there and, and give you the best. So you don't need a data scientist to go and tell you which one to, to use before. Um, you still yeah, need, I mean, you, you, you describe the, your problem and then the cloud provider, the, 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 like, there's like wizards to help you pick the algorithms that could be a good fit for your problem, right? And then they, yeah. they run it against you know a bazillion different combinations of parameters mm-hmm. until there's one that fits right yeah 
you still need the data, like you still need someone to create the features for you, right? Like to tell you what is important. Mm -hmm. But does that need to be a data scientist? Like, does it need to be like someone with a, a, a statistics uh, background, or does it need to be someone with business knowledge to tell you what columns are important? So, yeah, like, I'm, I'm curious to see the transition. That's, a, that's a good point. Happen. I, I spoke about this before with uh, with I, I know you remember probably Chris Presley him oh, me yeah. and him we talked about this quite a bit before about how um, probably down the line it's kind of like how analytics 15 years ago was only for big corporations that could pay like the Oracle and Teradata licensing kind of thing mm -hmm. same thing will happen with ML right the tooling will make it so broad and open that. Mm -hmm. People that are not necessarily, you know, like it's the, you know, degrees in math or, or anything like this, will still be able to be very effective at their jobs because, yeah. like you said, they will know the business well, and then they'll be able to create something without having to really understand the the underlying uh, mecha mechanism of the algorithms. Right? Mm -hmm. They can just use the algorithm and then let the the compute of the cloud kind of like fine tune it. Right, so yeah. we'll we'll see if that's that's the way it goes. I, I think it's a that'll be positive development anyway. Anytime that mm -hmm. more technology can be applied by more people, I think that's that's yeah. good. Oh, Probably that's the right. data scientists that are listening to this are hating us right now. No, though. like you know, the, the, I I think that the data scientists will will be the ones like first of all they will be doing the research and creating the algorithms, right? But ninety nine percent of the companies don't need custom machine yeah. learning algorithms, right? Yeah. So they are going to be like in academia or big tech companies creating new stuff, like pushing the industry forward. Um, mm. But in the actual day-to-day, -day, I, I, I believe personally that they are going to start having to morph more into a data engineering role than, than a pure, you know, data scientist, statistic um, role. But, you know, that's my personal belief. But let's it see. It could be a more businessy role too, right? If you have really yeah. strong knowledge of data science and you can help the business apply the results of your mm -hmm. experimentation that'll yeah. be really that could be a really good combination as well yeah. right it's and, and, really and valuable that, for a company too yeah and that's a good point because if you if you look at the data scientists right now like a bunch of them they are domain experts and not it people right like mm -hmm. if you go to healthcare the data scientists are not computer scientists they are usually like you know phd in in, in medicine in, in some uh, medical field that learn um how to develop in, in r and and some of them in python um but they are not computer scientists um so you know it's going to be interesting yeah to see. yeah i mean that's that's another good point right um i find that well, maybe it will be the same for data scientists, scientists or not, but at least for data engineers, usually if you, I mean, it's good if you know a particular industry or not, but, you know, if you're good, if you were able to do a good job in any industry, you should be able to translate that expertise uh, mm -hmm. anywhere else, right? It's just the nice thing also about consulting. You get yeah. to do a bunch of different verticals at once, right? Yeah, and you can bring that knowledge from one industry to the other, right? Because sometimes you know you have some knowledge in one industry that is not you know apply in another one, but it should. So you know, it, it, yeah, it's it's interesting to have that broad broad um, skill set and knowledge. Well, you can always come back if you want. Um, 
what's what's next for you at this point right like you've been now you're working on data engineering you're obviously working with uh you know a stack analytics stack that you pretty much enjoy you were mentioning you're working a lot with databricks uh, i can only imagine the amount of data of telemetry that is generated by ea games every single day um what what else is is out there for you now like what is another part of the of the data stack or the data state that you would like to work on at this point oh man i should have prepared for that question before <laughs> You know, I, 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 I that's, this question actually reminds me though that yearly performance, you know, uh, goals that we have to we have. We have yeah, to there do. you go. You can think about it now <laughs> and then fill it up for your corporate review. Yeah, man. I honestly, I, I'm, I'm enjoying a lot right now. Um, working with the, as a data engineer, loving this field and love. I'm learning a lot. I definitely have a lot to learn about the business domain. Um, it's such a broad. You know, uh, it's such a broad industry if you look mm -hmm. at the gaming because we have yeah. game developers that are just coders, right? That are using user studio or whatever that are just writing code. Um, and then the next day you jump into a meeting and you're talking to a 3D artist that, mm -hmm. you know, uses, cool. they use the same tool, you know, the same tool that, that, that we built for them, but they only know the module that is that is focused on the 3D artist. And then the next day you go and you join a meeting with an audio designer and then a game designer, a quest designer that just use the tool to write, you know, the, the story and all the possible quest paths and, and, um, and the kind of, so that sort of thing. So there's so many different, um, domains that you have to learn a little bit uh, at least so you can talk to them um that is going to take me a long time to you know get proficient on the gaming industry so yeah i'm just enjoying the moment right now but uh, I, I definitely want to to learn more about uh machine learning i don't think i do enough machine learning right now i don't think i have enough knowledge on on preparing the data for machine learning models so that's a personal okay. goal of mine to just you know uh, do more of that in the future. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that that's basically it. Yeah. And see how it goes. All yeah. right. Well, you know, once you get uh, a little bit deeper into the ML part, maybe next time we'll have you in an ML-related episode. Oh yeah, I will be happy to come back. Thanks again for inviting me. Absolutely. Thanks everybody for listening. Until next time. Bye bye. Navigating the datascape. <laughs>